I first saw my debt, I was like, oh my God, like this is a mountain. And it just seemed very impossible. Hello, and welcome back to the First Hustle Then Brunch podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Diana Farman from Diana on a Dime. Diana is a former teacher turned project manager that strives to help others manage their money easier. She has paid off $200,000 of student loan debt in order to provide herself the financial freedom she desires. Now she helps others do the same for themselves. Hey, Diana, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so excited to have you here. So before we get started, can you give us a quick overview of your money story and then we'll dive into more details? Yeah, definitely. So for me, back in 2015, I graduated with my master's and a ton of student loan debt, 200,000K. And unfortunately, I went to school to be a teacher. So my salary definitely did not support that kind of debt. And so since then, you know, we're, wow, seven years later. That's shocking. In 2020, I paid off my student loans. And now moving forward, I purchased a rental property back in 2021 in December. And I'm currently house hacking my rental property. So I'm living in one of the units. And my hope is that I will eventually purchase some more properties to add some more income streams. Nice. I love that. So a lot to cover. So let's start with uh, student loans. So at what moment did it hit you that you had $200,000 worth of student loan debt? And how did that realization kind of impact your life? Yeah, so actually... It was probably a week or two after my undergrad graduation in 2014, and my dad actually called me, and I was in my master's program. I had already started, and he told me that there was a bill in the mail for $1,400 for my private undergrad student loans. And you said that was a a week or two after graduation? Yeah, they were quick. Private student loan. Let me tell you, it was... (laughs) It was definitely within a month because I remember I was only like one week into my master's program and I was like, oh my gosh, like they found me fast, like super fast, right? It was, it was fast. And I was like, I was working full time and I was going to school full time, but I was, I was working in like a daycare center. I was, you know, it wasn't anything that was making me a ton of money basically. Mm Mm-hmm. And so obviously, like, I'm in panic because I'm like, $1,400, this is just for my undergrad, just for my private. And I, that was like the first moment where it like really hit me what I was really dealing with. And I was taking out more student loans for my master's. And I had just like no concept of what I was doing, Mm -hmm. basically. And ultimately, what ended up happening was I like, had a full on like meltdown. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I was like, Oh, my God, $1,400. And I'm taking out more debt right now. And luckily, I had my undergrad advisor, she actually ended up moving up to the grad school program. So she was an advisor at the grad school. And I she kind of was like my venting board throughout undergrad. And I was just like, I emailed her. And I was like, I need you. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I need to like, just like, basically word vomit to you and you need to help me. (laughs) Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, no, she's, I bow down to this woman to this day. (laughs) So she actually kind of gave me the actual reality check I needed. And she kind of was like, Diana, your payments right now are at $1,400. Like, do you even know what a teacher's salary is? Like, this is, 
this is not realistic. She's like, mm-hmm. you, you're going to have to move home. There's no way you can live on your own on a teacher's salary. And I was like, I was shocked. I was like, wait, what? Like, that was not in my plan at all. Yeah. She basically had me switch grad school programs. So it was less credits. She had me, she got me a new job at a, a it was still a daycare center, but it had, um, it allowed me to have credits. So they, they oh, nice. gave us credits to school. So I got like four credits. Uh, I think I got eight credits in total. So that like helped a ton. She got me a babysitting job to like fill in the gaps where oh, I had rhymes. Sounds awesome. Uh, you have <laughs> no idea. And then on top of that, she also emailed the scholarship department and basically like raved about me and was like, you know, she's helped us in this way and this way and this way and this way. And I ended up getting a scholar like got enough scholarship to cover my fall and spring semesters. So she, I, I didn't have to take out any additional loans after that point, once I got that scholarship for my master's. So that, I mean, helped me endlessly, but everyone's shocked when they hear almost all my loans came from undergrad. So, but ended up being when, once I graduated, I, my payments were about $2,000 a month. So it, I mean, it was still substantial, but it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can relate too because I had about that much getting out of undergrad. So definitely a sticker shock when you see those numbers. Yeah, yeah, because they're just like letting you sign up for it. And I know for me, like my parents okay. never said like this is not what, like you shouldn't be doing this. It was just like the norm, it's like normal thing to do. Yeah, like take out like my parents were co-signing them. They were like, yeah, take out yeah. the lot. Like, and I I didn't know what I was doing, so I just did yeah. it. Yeah, I remember my senior year right before graduation, they did these like financial aid meetings. Did they do this at your school where they like tell you, here's what you're going to have to pay back and like, here's how you do it or whatever. And I remember all my friends being in that session being like, wait, what? (laughs) This is how much we owe? Like no one that I was friends with even had an idea of how much they were actually taking out. Yeah, I, I know for me, I remember going to, it was called the bursar's office. And I remember going there and signing the check. Like, I remember this all happening. But like, I they never had a meeting for us, at least at the end for like, this is your total student, like we had to do all the counseling stuff like that. But mm-hmm. most of mine were private. And my private mm-hmm. loan provider didn't do that. So yeah, I was getting them. Yeah, I was getting them for my federal loans. But I only had only this is I had like about right. like 56,000 in federal loans. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was substantial. But I was like, Oh, my payment's $600. Like, that's not terrible. Compared meanwhile, yeah. meanwhile, I had, you know, 1500,000. Yeah. Oh, man. So if you don't mind sharing, what was your teacher salary when you first started paying those student loans? So part of the reason why my grad school advisor said you have to go home is because my parents live in New Jersey. So the cost of living is higher. Teacher salaries are higher. And I had my master's degree. So mine was, my starting salary was 57000 So it was still quad, I mean, my debt was still quadruple my mm-hmm. income. And I only, I made about $3,000 and it was only 10 months of the year. So I, I also was saving for the summer. And I, I did, I did side hustles. I worked a ton in the summers, but it wasn't guaranteed like a salary is. So mm-hmm. I would always save money for the summers. So when it came down to it, I mean, I, I couldn't afford to live in New Jersey for sure um, yeah. on, on that salary with my payments. Yeah. And that's why I wanted you to mention it because I think it's super important to put that in perspective when you think about how quickly you were able to pay it off and what your salary was. And honestly, it's really inspiring for me because I'm like, well, I have no excuse. 
<laughs> so I need to get on it. But can you tell us how long it took you to pay everything off and then what exactly you were doing to pay it off faster? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it took me all in. It was about five years and two months. And I lived with, with my parents. And the, the deal kind of was with them. If I'm paying extra on my student loans, then I didn't have to pay rent. So as long as I was you know, working towards that goal, it was I lived there for free. Mm-hmm. And like I said, in New Jersey, I could not afford an apartment <laughs> with my minimum yeah. payments at all. And then I basically I cut out a ton of spending. You know, I really got down into my budget and I thought, what are things that I really value and what are things that I don't? And I really got very clear on that. And I one of the biggest things I did was I refinanced my private loans. And this was really hard. I couldn't refinance for probably the first two years because my debt to income ratio was ridiculous. So no one wanted to refinance with me. And then once I finally, I think I was down in my private student loans, I think I got them down from 150,000 to like about 100,000 and finally someone refinanced with me. Mm -hmm. And so I dropped my interest rate from like 8% to like 5%. And then I just kept, yeah, yeah, I just kept refinancing. I probably refinanced them like three times and my last refinance was down to like 3%. So that helped. Yeah, that helped significantly. I mean, I still paid like in the end, like $50,000 in interest, but (laughs) what it could have been, (laughs) I mean, it definitely helped a lot. And then I worked like seven days a week. I pretty I mean, there were times where I would work before school program, I'd go to school. And then I would do an after school reading program. Then I do an after school homework help program, and then I tutor after that. And then I also wow. I also babysat too, but that was more inconsistent, like date night type of thing. So, right. but yeah, I worked all the time. Yeah, so it took hard work. Yeah, oh, I yeah. feel like you know people see the Instagram post like, yay, you paid off the debt, and that's great. But like, it took a lot of work behind that. So yeah, I definitely think it was worth it. I mean, I looking back like maybe I would have slowed down a little bit but at the same time like I just think like where I'd be if I still had two thousand dollar minimum payment I mean it would just it's just so crippling and it holds me back from so much stuff so yeah yeah exactly like there's so many other things you can do with that money so which we'll get into later what you've done but yeah that's that's so important to go ahead and get it out of the way while you have your family to support you fresh out of school no other responsibilities I feel like that was a really smart choice. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah. And it sounds like most of your side hustles were related to your job, like teaching and that sort of thing. Yeah, for the most part, I had like a couple other side hustles, but they weren't as consistent. I mean, the ones that I did, it was really and the the biggest reason I did that was because it if I was already going there, I might as well make more money Mm -hmm. while I'm there. So it didn't involve I mean, now, everything's work from home pretty much still. But at the time, you know, I was like, oh, I can save on time and gas if I'm just staying at school for 12 hour days and just working before and after school. Oh, it's not. I like looking back on it. I'm like, that was crazy. (laughs) Like I'd get I get to school at 630. And I'd leave some nights at like 530 or six o'clock. And I was just like, that's, that's crazy looking back on it. I don't know how I was functioning. I know, seriously, you had to like go home and go to bed right away. Yeah. But short-term sacrifice for long-term reward. Yes, lots of caffeine. So it sounds like you were very into teaching. 
you were doing it all day, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, pretty much. So eventually you decided to leave teaching. So how did you build up the courage to leave after you had not only put in all this effort to go to school and get your master's degree, but also had accrued all this student loan debt? So that was a really hard decision for me, mostly because I do love teaching. Like I absolutely love to teach. And I, to this day, I still tutor. I still tutor Mm -hmm. about three hours a week. So it is something I do love. And obviously, you know, taking out all that debt, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't (laughs) believe you did that. But what it ultimately came down to was, unfortunately, in our country, like they just, they don't value teachers, they don't pay teachers enough. And I was having a really hard time with anxiety, all of that came to a head kind of and I was like, I need to determine, you know, am I going to continue to sacrifice like myself and my well being for a profession that doesn't value me and Mm -hmm. isn't one that I can really afford to have in New Jersey, which is so sad to say. Yeah, it is. And I was just like, it kind of got to a point where I was like, I'm working so many hours for teaching outside of like my contract hours. I'm not getting paid a living wage in my state and I'm having to work a lot of extra jobs still. Even when I was Mm -hmm. debt free, you know, I, it was very challenging for me to think of like, how am I going to afford all the things I want to do with rent being like sky high in New Jersey? (laughs) Just like, it just wasn't Mm -hmm. something I could see. And with COVID and everything that happened with teaching, I you know, I tried to switch schools and then COVID hit. And even being in a school I loved, it still just was not what I needed for myself. Like it just was, it was too much for me, basically. Yeah. So yeah, I left in June of 2021. And I started my program management job in July of 2021. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I guess, looking back, would you have done anything differently? Or do you think you still would have pursued teaching and done everything the same way you did? That's such a hard question because I always like when I think about like my student loan debt, do I would I go back and change something? The reality is with that is I don't think I would have learned everything that I learned unless I was forced to learn it because mm-hmm. it's not something yes, I took a personal finance class in high school because it's required in New Jersey. Do I remember anything from it? No. Um, <laughs> and and the things I do remember from it, it was like how to write a check and like mm-hmm. how to open a bank account. Like it didn't, it wasn't anything about like money management and how to go about just like the things you need in everyday life to right. manage your finances. Yeah. And so part of me, I, I don't think, I probably would still have gone to school for teaching because I, I do love it. I know that's, I do love teaching. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the debt, I don't know if I'd want as much debt. But at the same time, like it taught me such valuable lessons and ones that I I know I would not have gone out on my own and learned them except for the fact that I was in grad school panicking that (laughs) I had all this debt to deal with. So I had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So now you're a program manager. How did that transition happen? Were you just did you know that was a field that you wanted to go into? Or were you just searching for job titles, and you're like, hmm, this sounds interesting. (laughs) There was a lot of that. Um, So I had been, I looked for a job for so, it was probably, I had been like casually looking for like a year, and then I got like really serious the last like six months before the school year ended. 
in 2021. And there definitely was a lot of like, just like, what do I want? And so when I had mentioned earlier, there were random side hustles I would do that didn't really stick, but like I still did them. So I started to do like some internships and stuff like that in different fields that I was considering. And one of them was with my friend's company as an instructional designer. And so I was, you know, seeing, okay, is this, everyone always says like, oh, you're a teacher, maybe instructional design will be something that you'll like. And I did enjoy it, but there's just like something missing about, I didn't really like, like the graphics part of it and all that stuff. And then coincidentally, there was a ton of people on her team that were former teachers, including herself. (laughs) Yeah, she was too. And so when I kind of introduced myself, I was telling them that I'm kind of thinking of leaving and, you know, figuring out what I want to do. And the project manager on her team was like, well, if you ever want to chat, like, let me know, like, happy to, you know, she was a former teacher, she, you know, and so that's when I kind of started looking into project management. And then this job came up, and I was like, program management, huh? And like, they offered me an interview, which, by the way, I'd got like no interviews at this point. I was like, <laughs> I was so scared ending this yeah. school year because I was like, I'm going to be back in teaching and I'm miserable. But <laughs> they, I spoke to them and they're like, yeah, it's basically like project management. And I was like, oh. And so they, yeah, it kind of worked out really well. And I, I do really enjoy it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm in project management and I'm sure it's very different from teaching, but I feel like I have a nice work-life balance. So probably compared to teaching, it's a significant improvement. Yeah, it is insane, the difference. And being valued as like a person and being able to say like, I need to take the day off. And that's all that is asked of me. And, you know, yeah. And that's, it's something that I've had a very hard time adjusting to because it's not something I'm used to. You know, I'm used to a field where it's basically like you you come to school every single day, regardless of what's going on in your personal life. <laughs> and yeah. so... Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I, I'll never forget. I was, I was going through some issues where I was having some like allergies and stuff like that, and I needed to go for testing. And my doctor was like, this needs to happen. And my principal asked if I could wait till the summer to get test wow and I was like "Mm, not quite (laughs) this is my health like yes and I think it takes priority (laughs) yeah I'm like it's like February it's not like it's like June and I'm like trying to take off a day this is February we're a few months out (laughs) yeah oh wow (laughs) so it's it's a world of difference in a good way yeah well good well congrats on paying off your debt and on landing a new job thank you very exciting stuff so before we move on from student loans What would you say to the person that feels overwhelmed with the amount of debt that they currently have? I think it's important to just focus on like one thing at a time. Because I know for myself, when I first saw my debt, I was like, oh my God, like this is a mountain. And it just seemed very impossible. And so what I started doing was I didn't look at all of my debt. I just looked at one of them. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important in the beginning, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, there's all those things out there, you know starting with the smallest one, starting with the highest interest. Like, I think it's important. Yes, eventually, once you're in a better place to like do that. But I was so much more motivated by the ones that just like made me mad. Like there were some debts where I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like I took out that much money 
for this, like for one year, like this is just ridiculous. And so I just, I was like, I'm going to pay that one off or like, you know, and I'd switch it around and I think it's just do what's going to motivate you and figure Mm -hmm. out what that is, especially at the beginning, because you'll get very overwhelmed and like, oh, this person says this and this person says that and they say to do this. And it's, it's a lot of noise. And I think it's just important to focus on one thing and just start. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. There's so much information out there and it can definitely be overwhelming. Like which strategy should I use? Which one's the right one? Mm -hmm. And there really is no such thing. Right. Did you invest at the same time as you were paying off debt or did you stop investing or not? So when I was a public school teacher, so I actually was required, I think it was like nine or 10% of my salary had to go to my pension. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. So not only was I not making a lot of money, but I didn't even have a choice. (laughs) I didn't have a choice. Yeah. So, I mean, the the reality is, is, you know, a pension is great if you can stay in the field for the entire time. But it's just like, it's crazy that I was literally drowning in debt and I had no choice in, you know, saying, oh, let me not invest for a year and see what I can do. It was, you have to do it and it doesn't matter. And I don't, I think it's important to invest while you're paying off debt. I don't regret it because the, after like the four years of me being in public school, I think the account was at like 16,000. I had no idea because I wasn't focused on it at all. It was like out of sight, out of mind. I knew it was coming out every paycheck, but like I had no idea what was happening because it was just something I had to do. But I'm definitely someone that I'm glad I did it and I think it's important to do it, but I think you have to be realistic in, you know, how much money you're making and what you can realistically do on your budget. But I think if you can, and even if it's only a couple bucks, 10, 20 bucks, I think it's important to still do it because the reality is, is that you lose out on that time if you don't. Yep, exactly. I think that's something I realized later on because the first year I graduated, I think I paused my, you know, 401k investing. And then I realized, wait, it can grow way faster if I just keep investing at least up until the contribution, like my employer's match. And then yeah, it'll pay off over time. Right. I can still be putting money towards my student loans and everything else. So right. Yeah, there's definitely that balance. Of course, you have to kind of figure out what you can realistically do. But I definitely think it's important to do something. If it's I mean, for me, I didn't have an employer match or anything like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, if I stayed in in the school, I would have had the match that my school district was putting in. But because I left, I didn't get any of that. Right. Yeah, makes sense. So last year, you decided to purchase your first investment property. So that's exciting. Congratulations again. (laughs) Thank you. You've achieved so many great things. So what inspired you to get into house hacking? And can you explain exactly what that is? Mm hmm. Yeah, so it was probably in like 2016. So I was in like the depths of student loan payoff, not making a ton of money, working a lot. And I used to listen to, I think it was, it was Paula Pant's podcast. I think it's Afford Anything. And like I got into bigger pockets and stuff like that. And so that's when I first started like learning about real estate investing. And at this point, I also was like in a panic because I was like, how am I ever going to afford to live in New Jersey? On, mm-hmm. a, on a teacher's salary, thinking of just like me, myself, and I, because like all my coworkers, they're like 
oh, it's, you know, it's tight, but it's not bad. I'm like, you're married. I'm by myself. Like, what am I going to do? It's so different. Yeah, it is. It's very different. And so then I, I don't remember what I was, it was either bigger pockets or afford anything. And they mentioned house hacking. And I was like, oh, like that might actually be a way for me to afford to live in New Jersey and not spend like a ton of money on housing. And Mm -hmm. basically what house hacking, it's, I feel like the term is is gotten bigger and bigger, but when I first started listening to it, what my understanding was is basically like you buy a house and you rent out other rooms. But now that I've like gotten into like the depths of house hacking, it's definitely a much bigger thing. So it could be what I'm doing is I have a four unit building and I live in one of the units. And or it could be, you know, you have a big parking lot. And so you rent Mm. out parking spaces, it could be, oh, you have a basement, rent out like storage space in your basement. So I think it's definitely become broader. And I, I feel Mm -hmm. like for me, it's more so, you know, finding, finding any way to lower your cost of living. So you know, whether that's renting out storage space, renting out parking, or it's, you know, renting out rooms or renting out units in the building you live in. So before you purchased, how did you kind of financially prepare to one day make that decision? Because I know you said 2016, you heard about this, you were still paying off debt. Were you also starting to save for a down payment? So basically what I did was I, starting in like 2016, I just started to learn anything I could about real estate and real estate investing and specifically house hacking. And as I did not save anything for a down payment at that point, I was like full force paying off my student loans. I did have an emergency fund, but I didn't have anything mm-hmm. earmarked for a down payment. And so in December 2020, I paid off my student loans. And at that point, you know, I had a ton of freed up cash. <laughs> and so what I did after that was I basically started putting everything into a down payment fund. So everything I was saving or everything I was putting to my debt, I then moved into the down payment fund. And so I saved and saved and saved. And then I started looking at houses pretty much at the same time, almost. I mean, it was, I waited a couple months, but in August of 2021, I started like really looking for a house. Mm -hmm. And then while I'm still saving, obviously, and then September, 2021, I got my accepted offer. Nice. I feel like that was pretty quick. Was that a year, a little over a year that you were saving? Well, so yeah, I closed in December 2021. So a year after I paid off my debt, it was like 10 10 days less or something. It was it's pretty crazy. But yeah, it was about a year. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess for people who are interested in doing this for themselves, are there some things that they should look for in an ideal investment property? I think it depends on what you're trying to do. So like if you're trying to just house hack, I mean, I think it's important if you're going to be living there to actually enjoy the neighborhood, you know, enjoy Mm -hmm. the town. But I think as purely investment properties, I think that also holds true because you need to know that people are going to want to live there. So like, for example, my town that I'm in, I had never been to this town before. My agent, who's also a real estate investor, was like, we should go check this out, like the house I'm in now. And I was like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. I don't really know that area. And like the house is, the house is, there's no year built on this house. No one knows the year it was built. Oh, wow. So it's I, so nice. It's so pretty. Though. Oh, thank you. I was, I was terrified. I was like, there is, this is an old house. I don't know what I'm doing. And, but in the neighborhood, there is a huge factory 
that mm-hmm. employs a ton of people. There's a hospital and there's a college all within two miles of my house. So I was nice. like, okay, the rental market there is strong and the chance of it going down. I mean, those three things alone, it's going to take a lot in order for mm-hmm. that those to fall apart. So I think having kind of like a an understanding of where you're investing is mm-hmm. very important. And I think the other thing is learning how to run numbers in terms of how much you're buying for the property and how much the rents are and if it realistically makes sense and if you will end up with cash flow every month or if it's not, then okay, that's not a good deal. Yeah. Did you have to fix it up at all? So Uh-oh. it actually, <laughs> no, it was in, it's in very, very good shape. It It's just funny because like three days after I closed, one of the tenants was like, so did you hear that we haven't ever had hot water? And I was like, oh, what? no. Oh my gosh. I did not know that. However, the hot water heaters were 22 years old. So I was planning to replace them in the spring anyway. Like I didn't want to do it in December, like right around Christmas, like didn't want to do that. But I was like, now they'll be replaced. I was like, yeah. I kind of knew this was coming, but didn't know you actively did not have hot water. But yeah, for the most part, it's it's in pretty good shape. I did... The unit I'm in, I did do new floors, paint, new light fixtures, stuff like that. But for mm-hmm. the most part, it's I haven't had to do knock on all the yeah. wood. <laughs> I haven't had to do anything major yet. Nice. The biggest thing with real estate investing is that I think for me, and I'm so glad I kind of just jumped into it, but you can really get like bogged down in all the research and learning about it. And mm-hmm. I... You can do all the learning you want all day long, but until I was actually in it and really understanding it and doing it and having to deal with tenants and, you know, the things that they need and all that stuff, you think you know how you're going to handle things and how things are going to unfold and then things happen and you're just yeah. like, wow. Mm-hmm. So I think I think for me, I mean, I'm I I don't think I took I think I I did it when I was ready and took the mm-hmm. jump, but I do think had I gone back, I probably would have spent a lot more time with other real estate investors and like talking to them and like hearing their experiences. Because I think that would have helped me understand how how it really goes. You know, like you hear all the stories, you see all the things on, you know, social media and stuff. But then when you're actually in it, and then you hear people actually like talking, you're like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Did not know that. (laughs) Yep. That's so funny. So were there already tenants there or did you have to find them? Yeah. So it was fully occupied. I actually, in order for us to close, because I did use an FHA loan, so it's owner occupant, Mm -hmm. the uh, tenant who lived in the unit I'm in, he um, did need to be given a notice to quit. And so his lease was actually up in December, 2021. And then I let him stay for 60 days after I closed. So he had Mm -hmm. till like February. So yeah, it was fully occupied and the tenants have been and are wonderful. That was definitely something when I was looking at houses, like my in my real estate agent was and myself, we kind of figured out like, okay, wait, this is not not a good situation. And this was only property pretty much. There was one other one that I put an offer in on, but this one, the tenants were like wonderful during our walkthrough of it. Like that which usually that isn't always the case. And they were willing to accommodate us to see it and all that stuff. So it, it worked out really, really, really well. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. 
Congratulations again. Thank so many you. accomplishments. So one of the last questions I'll ask, I ask this of all of my guests. So people often say, oh, I wish I had known this sooner or I would have done things differently. So I'm curious, what is one of the most important lessons you've learned when it comes to managing your money, paying off debt, house hacking, anything that you think would be helpful for listeners? Oh, that's a good one. I think for me, the biggest thing that I've learned is that it's so important to track what you're doing. If it's budgeting, like tracking your, you know, the money going in, the money going out. I think that a lot of times when we lose sight of that and we kind of just let it go in the background, we forget different things. And that's when we kind of let things fall through the cracks. And I mean, even at the beginning of this, when I was like, oh, wow, it's only been seven years. And like, from where I was to where, <laughs> like, you know, even like that, you you forget these things. And sometimes we get kind of lost in the day to day when you look at, the bigger picture. And I think that can kind of be applied to a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Love it. Well, where can listeners find you? So on Instagram, I'm Diana on a dime. I'm on Facebook as Diana on a dime. And I have my website, which is Diana on a dime.com. Thanks for tuning in to the first Hustle Then Brunch podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, I'd love if you subscribed and left us a review. Another way to support the podcast is to take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram story. Tag me at first hustle then brunch so I can repost it. Thank you so much for supporting the show and I'll see you in the next episode.